Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Our text for our sermon is our gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, the Beatitudes. You've already heard that text, and I will be bringing up each verse throughout the sermon. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I had to go to conference this week. It's kind of a mandatory thing, and you've got to have a good vehicle to get out of town for that, right? And I'm pretty excited. I, I got to look at my sermon text before I leave, and I'm thinking this text over as I'm driving down the road. And about 40 miles to Cheyenne, the check engine light comes on. And smoke starts dumping out the back end. Not like a fire, but I think, oh boy, I've lost a valve or something in my engine. And I pray, Lord, Lord, I don't want to be broke down on the side of the road. Please just let me get to Cheyenne. Mom and Dad live in Cheyenne. i got a brother-in-law who has a satellite uh, radiator repair shop in Cheyenne. I can get him to come up from Laramie and Tomey and we can get this thing fixed. And I make it to Cheyenne. And the Beatitudes are on my mind. I'm like, thank you, Lord. You're a gracious God. You got me to a safe place. Everything's going to be fine. I call my brother-in-law, he sends his employee to come and tow my truck to the shop, and it turns out being it's dumping transmission fluid out of the transmission like you wouldn't believe. But I'm able to fill it up with transmission fluid from the gas station and drive it to my brother-in-law's shop. Thank you, Lord, whatever's going on, the transmission actually works. Maybe this is just going to be a cheap little leak that's going to be easy to fix. And his employee looks at it and he said, you know, sometimes you said this vehicle sat undriven for seven years. Sometimes there's some vents that get plugged up on it, and it looks to me like it just overheated and blew those out, and I think you'll be fine. But just to be safe, my brother-in-law says, get it to my shop here in Laramie. We fill it up with more ATF, and off I go to Laramie, got a 45-mile, 45 45-minute 45 drive. And at Buford, it's running fine, nothing wrong. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. This, is, this might not even be a repair that I have to pay for. You are good. And, and then it starts doing that smoking thing again. And, and I have to pull over in the outskirts of Laramie and dump more ATF into it. And it goes to my brother-in-law's shop. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I've made it here safely. Thank you for a good brother-in-law who's going to fix this for me and, and cheaper than I could pay a regular mechanic because I got the brother-in-law discount. And he gets it up in the lift. He says, the, the pump, I think your pump's gone out. And I'm not sure, but I'll have to pull your transmission. But I think I don't have to tear the thing apart completely. I think I can get that pump in there. And this is going to be a cheap fix. Wow, thank you, God. You're so awesome. You've been taking care of me. I don't, I, I, I'm going to miss conference, but this is going to be okay. Tuesday morning, my brother-in-law calls me at his house and says... Uh, Fred, I called a buddy of mine who knows way more about transmissions than I do, and he says, at this point, you got it out, you got it, that transmission needs rebuilt. But I think I have one in my scrapyard. I'll put a transmission in for you. This is going to be a little bit more expensive than I thought, but thank you, Lord, this is awesome. By the end of the day, I'll be able to at least head home. Then my brother-in-law calls, says... I don't have one in your scrapyard and there isn't one anywhere nearby. I'm going to have to send your transmission in and get it rebuilt. And now it just got outrageously expensive and the sinful nature kicked in. Why, God? Why are you doing this to me? Lord, why do I have to spend so much money? Every vehicle I own is broke down this year. Why? It's not fair. I don't say that just to embarrass my own self and have you guys tease me about it for the following weeks. That's how our sinful nature works. 
You're going along good and the new man just constantly sees God's blessings. But, but then there's that point where it gets its sucker punch in. And as this text went through my mind throughout the rest of the week, I said, you know what, Fred? You can see God taking care of you with small things. But God knows you've got a family. God knows you've got to be able to get in and out of a street that's never plowed. God will make sure that you can financially take care of this and have a vehicle that will get you out of town. That'll get you. It's going to be okay. That's what the Beatitudes are. It's Jesus empowering us with his promises to fight that sinful nature in when it gets its sucker punch in like mine did and says, Why? Why, Lord? Why this much? But too many people misunderstand the Beatitudes. They think it's God saying, If you do this, then I will do this. That's a conditional sentence. And neither in the Greek nor in the English translation do we hear the if-then. No, throughout, it begins with, you're blessed. And then he explains the blessing. It's very important for us to understand that today, because verse 1 makes it clear, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to people that need to earn their salvation. No, he's talking to people who recognize they're saved because they have a Savior, which is a blessing. We're told, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach to them. He said these things. So we arrive at our sermon theme for today. Notice he's talking to disciples, to people who already are blessed to be saved and following him. So our sermon theme is, you are blessed because you are God's disciple. The first beatitude is verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the misunderstanding of this, people forget that part in spirit, and they think, if you're poor, if you're in a beggarly state, you've got to beg for things. Like, I had to beg my brother-in-law to fix my truck. No, I didn't have to beg him. He's a good guy. Then, then God's going to bless you, and he's going to give you the kingdom of heaven. But that's not a conditional sentence. That's not what he says. And that word in spirit changes everything. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Just as I had to humbly call my brother-in-law and say, would you help me? Are you able to, at this time... The poor in spirit are people who recognize I'm a beggar before the Lord. I can't, I can't say, God, you owe me salvation. I can't say, God, you owe me the magic amount I need to put, dump into this transmission or you owe me a nice car. I can't say any of that. The poor in spirit are the ones who say, Lord, all I can do is beg for your mercy because I sin every day. Even as a believer, my sinful nature gets its sucker punches in. But Jesus says you're blessed to be poor in spirit. That's the point. You're blessed to be poor in spirit because God's Holy Spirit is in your heart and made you realize you are a beggar before God, yet God has made you his child. And the, the hook he gives us, that, that right punch to hit that sinful nature when it comes in and says, I'm so tired of feeling poor in spirit, Lord. He says, because theirs is the kingdom of God. That's the invisible church. That's what will be made visible when Christ returns. You see, you're blessed to be poor in spirit because you're already in the kingdom of God. And when the sinful nature says, I'm tired of feeling guilty for my sins, Jesus gives us that right hook to, 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 to just punch it right in the mouth and say, no, I'm in the kingdom of God. Verse 9 uh, uh, kind of follows this theme. Verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Now, there are people who can make peace between nations and stuff like that so there's not war. This is not what he's talking about. You are a peacemaker. 
And you are blessed to be a peacemaker. Because true peace is what I found as I fought with my sinful nature. Jesus has saved me. This world is transitory. God can take care of this, even if he lets me suffer this cross for a while. The true peacemakers is to know that we are at peace with God. We who sin against him are his children instead. And that means you're now a priest. Because when you share with others the good news, Christ has removed your sin, then you are a peacemaker. So you're blessed. You have to be a believer to be a God peacemaker. And that is a blessing. And when the sinful nature says, but I'm so tired of feeling like the world is against me and and I'm at war with everything, God says, here's the right hook to give to your sinful nature. You are a son of God. Now again, women, he says sons of God, not thinking less of you, but in the Old Testament, the son inherited everything. The son had the legal rights. So he's even telling you women, You inherit heaven. You have the legal rights of being God's child. So there again, we can tell that sinful nature, be quiet. I'm God's child. He loves me. He rules over this world for me. And and then verse 10 says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're not talking about our own righteousness. We're poor in spirit. Yes, it happens, and it has happened throughout Christian history. Only one of the apostles didn't die a martyr's death. And it happens today. Communist countries don't like the message of free forgiveness, and they persecute Christians. Radical Islam is beheading Christians and shooting them right and left. Persecution means being chased after because you trust in Christ for your righteousness. And wouldn't it be easy... If you were the one at work who's being ridiculed for being a Christian, if you're the one whose life is in your hands, deny Jesus or die, wouldn't it be easy for that sinful nature to say, well, God, if you love me, you wouldn't let this happen. But Jesus gives us, again, the right hook to punch that sinful nature in the face because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Take the world, but give me Jesus. This world is transitory. It doesn't matter. God has become man, and he's won heaven for you and I. And with our eyes on that prize, we have the gospel power to focus on that when we're persecuted. This world is short, and it doesn't matter because God has given me heaven. And verse 11 continues that theme. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The fact that Jesus says this tells us it's going to happen. And it happens a lot in America where they take what a Christian says and twist it into a mean lie and call them bigoted, hated, misogynist, homophobes, and all these other words, taking their words out of context and everything else. Jesus says you're blessed because you're standing on my word and you wouldn't if you were not my redeemed child. And verse 12 furthers that. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. In fact, this is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The very people, the Sanhedrin, the the kings who were supposed to be making sure the people had the word of God in truth and purity, tortured and killed the prophets who came with the word in truth and purity. But Jesus says we can rejoice. And there's no greater example of this in in the New Testament era than when Peter and John are arrested shortly after Pentecost because they're proclaiming the word of God. And they are beat because they refuse to stop proclaiming Jesus' death and resurrection. And they walk away rejoicing. 
They rejoiced because they were found worthy to suffer like their Lord had suffered. They're his disciples. They found themselves, they rejoiced because they were worthy to take a beating for the Lord. And they didn't deny him. So here again, when we're looking at harm to our reputation, physical harm, Jesus says, actually, you're blessed when persecution comes because it wouldn't if you were not my child, if you were not saved, and you can rejoice in it because it's God assuring you he's got you and he's going to keep you. So brothers and sisters in Christ, in this part of the Beatitudes, we see you're blessed because you're God's disciple. This means God's kingdom is yours. And in verse 4, if we go back, he says, Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Why would we mourn? Well, in Bible study today, we talked about Christian funerals. It's hard when we lose a brother or sister in Christ, especially if it's a mother or a father or a sister, you know, dear brother in Christ. But, but we will be comforted because we'll have a family reunion. But this isn't the only way we mourn. This world was subject to decay so that we don't get attached to it, so that we look for something better, which is heaven, and we'll be comforted. But we also mourn over the fact, as I humiliatingly said in the intro to my sermon, I gave an example how the old sinful nature gave way. Well, now I'm in that point. It's like, ah, that rotten sinful nature of mine. And it's not that I will be comforted. I will. But God's word that the Holy Spirit had, had through years of studying the word, had already come to me and said... If he clothes the lilies of the field, how much more will he take care of you, O oh, you of little faith? Yes, the Holy Spirit, through words memorized in my, in my head of God's word, came and comforted me then. We mourn over our sin, but we receive the comfort. We're blessed to mourn over our sin and to mourn because we recognize this world is falling apart. We receive comfort now in hearing we're saved, your sins are forgiven, and we'll get the ultimate comfort when Jesus returns and we live in a world free of death, free of sorrow, when only God's glory and righteousness shines through. So we see you're blessed because you're God's disciple. This means God's kingdom is yours. This means God's comfort is yours. And we're told in verse 5, blessed are the gentle because they will inherit the earth. Now, the Greek word there kind of falls between the word gentle and humble. So what does he mean? Well, you're blessed. You're going to inherit the earth. This is God's earth, and you are God's son. This world exists for you. God made this world for you. He ruled over time and history specifically for you to be saved. We should get swollen heads, shouldn't we? Look, Lord, I'm awesome. I'm your child. And the unbeliever, bring it on. This is my world. This is just a period of less pain before those people go to hell. But no, we're gentle, we're humble, and we're blessed to have that. As Isaiah prophesied of our Savior, the bruised reed he would not bend. And so when we come across somebody who's struggling with the sin, we don't come with them with the pharisaical attitude. Look at you, you stink so bad. We gently and humbly come to them so that we can show them the Savior. Rejoicing that this earth is ours. So we see you're blessed because you're God's people. This means God's kingdom is yours. This means God's comfort is yours. This means God's earth is yours. He rules over this earth for you. Great comfort to fight down our sinful nature. And in verse 7, we're told, Blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. I've met people who are unbelievers that are merciful in disposition. But this is more than this. To truly be merciful, to have that, you're blessed to be merciful, it's because you yourself know that although you and I both deserve to go to hell, God has been merciful and has forgiven your sins and wiped them out. So it's a blessing. You're blessed to be merciful. 
And that stands against the sinful nature because it wants to harbor grudges. It wants to be bitter. It wants to keep a record of sins. And when it does, we're told, because they will receive mercy. And there is the right hook again of God's grace to punch that sinful nature down, to defeat him in the wrestle. Wait a minute. God has already given me mercy. I'm blessed to be merciful. And he promises he'll continue giving mercy. He'll continue forgiving my sins. He'll continue keeping me in his word. He's already said all these merciful things he's given me. You're blessed because you're God's disciple. This means God's kingdom is yours. This means God's comfort is yours. This means God's earth is yours. This means that God's mercy is yours. I skipped verse 6 on accident. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Do you ever get tired of wishing you were righteous? Do you ever get tired of fighting with that sinful nature? That's actually a blessing from God to always hunger and thirst for righteousness, even though we know that truly we're not going to be in and of ourselves perfectly righteous until the day God rips our sinful nature away. That's either death or judgment day, depending which comes first in our lives. So we constantly hunger and thirst for righteousness. But God, God doesn't say, well, you know, not only are you blessed hunger and thirst for righteousness and that's the end. Oh, no, we're told because they will be filled. God fills you with his righteousness. We confessed our sins at the beginning of the worship service and we're told Christ was righteous for you in your place. He's forgiven you. He filled you with his righteousness. God says, I love you. I keep you. My righteousness is yours. I credit you with it. God doesn't let you just hunger and thirst. He lets you hunger and thirst for it like a wonderful meal and he feeds you with it. Lays out a feast every day for you to take and receive. So we see you're blessed because you're God's disciple. This means God's kingdom is yours. This means God's comfort is yours. This means God's earth is yours. This means God's righteousness is yours. This means God's mercy is yours. And our last point in today's sermon, in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. Now this heart is dead in God. It is rotten and miserable and stinks to high heaven of our sin. You're blessed to be pure in heart. Jesus tells you you're pure in heart. Because he has sent his Holy Spirit working through the good news that Christ has won forgiveness for you. And that Holy Spirit has created the new man that was doing such a good job as I was going down the highway with transmission problems until that sinful nature got his sucker punch in. You're blessed. You're pure in heart because that new man of yours is through the Holy Spirit connected to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit so that it's constantly getting the blood of Christ poured on it. It is pure. And he says they will see God. I saw God in the hand of my brother-in-law who's a believer who's willing to go above and beyond to help me because he knows that I'm a pastor and he's thankful for the word that is proclaimed. I see God when a mother and father share the word of God. I see God when you guys comfort each other and support each other and when you comfort me and support me because God is using your mouthpiece. But it doesn't end there, brothers and sisters in Christ. You are connected to God, but now we see God through veiled eyes. But when Christ returns, or when you die, whichever comes first, God here is assuring you. Stand up. Keep that heart pure. Fight against that sinful nature. My blood is what makes it pure. And you will stand in the presence of God and bask in His glory for all eternity. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, I use the example of how my new man was rejoicing in blessings in a difficult circumstance until that sinful nature got his sucker punch in. And that's what the Beatitudes are. It is God assuring us of his grace of what we have 
and then reminding us all the more when the sinful nature complains when it doesn't appear that way. Applied to the situation I began our sermon with, by Thursday when I sat down to write a sermon, I found myself thanking the Lord for everything that had happened. Gave me a great analogy that would apply our sermon text for this week, which alone is just an awesome thing. I got to see the love of my big sister and my brother-in-law yet again. I also, though, had the tremendous blessing of having my, where my faith is weak, pointed out to me and proven the blessing. Fred, I know you got to travel the ministry with requirements, and I've got you. I'll take care of you. And so today, through the blessings that our Lord and Savior taking on human flesh has given us, we see you're blessed because you are God's disciple. This means God's kingdom is yours. This means God's comfort is yours. This means God's earth is yours. This means God's righteousness is yours. This means God's mercy is yours. This means you will stand in God's presence and bask in his glory. Amen. And now you are blessed because you are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. Amen.